Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 242 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is an interview of Ty Francis, Chief Advisory Officer at LRN, uh, concerning LRN's recent report on assessing corporate culture, a practical guide for uh, for boards of directors to uh, implement and conduct oversight of corporate culture. Welcome, everyone. Still in beautiful Sicily here. Uh, We'll be here for a little while longer and uh, glad to give you a really interesting interview today with regard to Ty Francis and this recent report that came out from LRN uh, about uh, corporate culture and gives you practical guides for boards to conduct oversight, implement, uh, and uh, help in the creation uh, and promotion of a corporate culture. Really interesting, great report. Uh, in the show notes, I've included a link for it, uh, and uh, I'd urge you to take a look at it and also to enjoy sort of uh, Ty's uh, perspective here. Just a great person to speak to about this and really enjoyed it. So uh, without further ado, let's first start with our uh, word from our sponsor, Diligent, and then we'll get right to the interview. Thanks. Diligent is the time-tested, award-winning provider of automated governance, risk, and compliance solutions. For over 20 years, Diligent has helped boards and C-suites to design and implement effective governance practices through its market-leading board application. Diligent has now expanded its offerings to include risk, compliance, and audit solutions. Building on these new and exciting capabilities, Diligent now offers the critical capability to connect boards, C-suite, risk, compliance, and audit teams to promote purpose-driven leadership. Building on this capability, Diligent provides a full suite of complementary services including risk management, ethics and compliance, environmental, social, and governance, and proactive auditing strategies and practices. Diligent solutions enable companies to implement robust corporate governance to mitigate and manage risk, create a culture of ethics and compliance, ensure that company controls are audit-ready, and implement tailored and responsive ESG solutions. If interested in exploring Diligent's unique complement of solutions, please reach out to Diligent at its website, www.diligent.com. Ty Francis is here from LRN, the Chief Advisory Officer. And uh, if people, uh, listeners know, we've had other LRN professionals uh, here because I I do have an acknowledged bias, which is that I really, uh, LRN is sort of the leading, uh, I would say, um, proponent for serious studies of ethics and compliance issues. Uh, and I think some of the work that LRN does is amazing. And I'm really happy to have Ty Francis here, who uh, just came out with a very interesting uh, report on uh, ethical cultures and boardrooms. Uh, Ty uh, also worked at Ethisphere as a 
for many years, as well as the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, if there's anybody who knows anything about culture and ethics and compliance, we've found the right uh, individual for that. Ty, welcome, and thank you for making time available for us. Thank you, Michael. It's uh, it's great to be on the on the podcast, and it's uh, I've been waiting to come on the podcast for a while. So uh, thanks for uh, <laughs> finally getting around to inviting me. I, oh, I, I well, felt I felt left out. Well, well, Ty, listen. Uh, LRN is, you know, one of my regular guests here from, and every time you guys come out with a report, I try to bring somebody on. And this report happens to be in, you know, really is uh, the timeliness of this is just perfect uh, in terms of a practical guide to improving board oversight and assessing corporate culture. Tell me a little bit about the report, how it came about, how you sort of came up with this and uh, and some of the key issues that you uncovered. And I mean, I've read the report, it's fantastic and I recommend it to everybody. Thank you. So it came around in a, in a few different ways. Um, we'd um, begun a partnership with Tapestry, which is the, uh, the, the, the board network um, headed up by uh, Jonathan Day and uh, Eric Baldwin and uh, Marsha, Marsha Haynes. And uh, who, who was actually a former colleague at LRN. And we wanted to get a good foundational understanding of what boards see as their ethics and compliance obligations. And, and following on from that, to kind of guide them into what those obligations should be. Um, and this ranged from everything from talking about their oversight responsibilities, asking them how often they speak to their chief compliance officer, what kind of information they want from their chief compliance officer, but kind of, you know, making sure that we had a pretty good understanding of where that tone from the top is originating. Um, but also we wanted to kind of reinforce the fact that having former chief compliance officers on your board is probably a good thing, especially looking at the complexities that ethics compliance and regulate regulations are bringing to the table right now. So, we had about 40 uh, to 80 directors, and these were, these spanned about 40, uh, sorry, 40 directors, and they occupied about 80 public boards. Um, and, you know, we were talking about all manner of ethics and compliance, and we released a report called Activating Culture and Ethics from the Board. Um, when we did that, what was very, very apparent was the board's understood what compliance and ethics were the fuzzy area was culture it was it was incredibly apparent that they're all very passionate about understanding the culture of their company but very few of them had a close grasp on what that meant and how to measure it so we kind of dug down a little bit further and began this what we call an uh, eccn which was a Ethics, Culture, Compliance Network. Uh, and we we kind of created this culture measurement working group. Um, and from that then, uh, we went to 40 directors, which occupied about 80 seats on public boards. And bearing in mind, these, these were pretty big boards. So, you know, the market caps, you know, aggregate was about $5 trillion. And they operated, you know, on six continents. We tried to hit everyone we could. Um, and then we kind of asked them, you know, basic questions about, you know, what they thought culture was, how they think they could measure it, 
how they think they can tie that to strategy and where they were. Um, and we, you know, we came up with this report, which is fantastic. And um, it does tie into another report we did uh, last year, which was our benchmarking of ethical culture report, which uh, my colleague Emily Miner uh, spearheaded back in October. Hmm. And that, um, and we'll we'll include it, that in the show notes, uh, a link to that as well. But what what struck me about this, and let's start sort of at the higher level. It seems to me like if you ask board members or you ask senior managers, you know, do you have a good culture? They all invariably will say yes. And they may even tell you, we define it this way. We do the right thing. But to me, those are just sort of syllogisms with real no, no real substance. Well, and what they're doing, yeah, yeah, so when you're asking that question, Michael, yeah. you're asking the question because you know what the answer is. They, what I've seen, are answering a very, what is your mission? Not right. what is your culture? So their mission is to do the right thing, as, as we discussed before. You know, and I always want to ask the question, well, it's not going to be anything else, is it? You're not going to come out and say, well, we used to not do the right thing. Now our mission is to do the right thing. <laughs> and, and you know, when you actually spell out what our definition of culture is. So we say an LRN, um, you know, the foundations of ethical culture, you know, it begins with the organization's core architecture. Uh, right. it's, the, you know, it's the codification of what the organization stands for and then the systems that support those beliefs. So, you know, the core architecture is reinforced and should be cascaded by that leadership and in how they model their words and actions and recognize and champion those values based on the behavior of their people. Um, now, when you say that to them, then you ask them again, do you think you have that at your company? I think your answer will be different. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm also struck by something that came through in your report which is that um, some boards view this as more the province and responsibility of senior management and the CEO. And I couldn't disagree more with that perception because if there's any entity that contributes to quote unquote tone at the top, it's your board and your board's priorities and your board's holding of uh, oversight and monitoring, but management and holding senior management accountable. What what yeah. did you what do you think about that? And were you kind of surprised by that? I was a little bit surprised by boards, some boards sort of shirking that responsibility. Well, I think traditionally, and this came out of the first report we did, you know, traditionally boards have been, and I'll 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 kind of paraphrase one of the board members who said this, they had a nose-in, fingers out mm -hmm. approach to their companies. And in some, in some, you know, way, they wanted to demonstrate that they were independent, and they didn't want to interfere with the operational business of the company. They wanted to maintain that oversight. Them, you know, it, it, like they're sitting on a cloud. But when it comes to culture, you know, we kind of said to them, "This is you. This is the tone from the top. Isn't the tone from the nearly top, or the tone from the almost top? Right. This is you. You are responsible for." establishing this tone in this culture and then you have to articulate this to the leadership team so yes the leadership team have a responsibility for cascading that throughout the company but it starts with you 
And what we went further into kind of challenging was the board's own culture themselves, because if this is the way they're thinking now, this is a very filtered down version of what they would give to their leadership teams. So we, we you know, one of the five kind of uh, pillars we established was that it was critical for them to examine their own culture because then they will set the ultimate tone from the top. Um, but also we wanted to make them understand that they need to be very intentional about how they evaluate their own transparency and ensure that they're open to debate with their leadership teams. So even though they're cascading these values down, we want them to understand that this needed to be a two-way street as well, because whilst they have that nose in, fingers out, you know, kind of uh, responsibility in the past, and the leadership teams have been managing that process, boards need to have nose in, fingers in there, and they need to work with the leadership teams to make sure that they're all aligned. And one of the one of the challenges in this area, and I, I understand it, is that look, this isn't as fun or as concrete as looking at financial reports, you know, monitoring finances, developing strategies for the business. This is a more amorphous uh, concept. But but what I think is just invaluable about your report is that you have broken this down into real meaningful tasks and ways to approach this process of defining your culture, embedding it, managing it, and then intervening or remediating it when necessary. And I think what's so important about this report is you're finally sort of answer, you're giving, you're giving a solution to people so that they can embrace it. And my hope is there's a challenge in getting over that initial hump of, well, wait, this is so amorphous. This is just a feel good thing uh, that people are into, but um, how do you, how do you get the board past that concept and get them to thinking in let's define it, let's call it what it is, let's shape it. And then let's measure it. Let's hold people accountable for it. And let's go from there. So the first thing we did, we kind of gave them a bit of a, a shock value where we brought some data from the, the report I mentioned earlier, the uh, Benchmarking of Ethical mm -hmm. Culture Report. Um, one of the shocking things we found from that report was what we call the pandemic paradox. And this was a disconnect that existed between what a company said its values were and the real life experience of the employees it had. Um, and even though, you know, the frontline workers at the time were heralded publicly as heroes for keeping the companies running early in the when the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Um, and the, the leaders of those companies were very proud of this. And like you said, they said, oh, our culture is fantastic. We believe in it. It's part of our strategy. Those frontline workers themselves gave their firms the lowest scores across all dimensions yeah. of culture. We, 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 we scored. And that included people whose job titles were, you know, office administrative, individual contributor, skilled manual laborers and factory workers. So what we found was that an, the employee's desire to stay with their company was predicated on having a culture of trust and a sense that the company's ethical and purpose was driven with a clear commitment and communication. So, you know, there we were sitting in front of these board members who, and I will say, these board members came to the table because they truly wanted to understand how to measure their culture and how to move to the next step. There are far too many, you know, you've 
Michael, in your experience, you've seen this time and time again. I've, I've read your articles and I've seen your podcast where you have talking heads saying, yes, we believe in this, we believe in that. You step away and then you ask them again, well, what are you going to do to make that better? They've got no idea because they've got no idea to benchmark it because they've got no data. So exactly. then we pushed to the second step was, well, here's how you measure where your culture is. And unfortunately, you have to ask the difficult questions. And those difficult questions are, do you feel safe? Do you feel valued? Can, could you speak up? And do you think that your colleagues or your leadership are ethical? Once you start getting back some of those answers, it's a stark realization that you may not be where you think you are. And, and I think the other thing that I think is really interesting about the timing of your study and everything uh, in the work that you guys are doing is, you know, here we are in the midst of, uh, I wouldn't call it a governance revolution, but there's stakeholders are demanding more. This is, uh, you know, and stakeholders are being defined as a broader group than traditionally uh, have been used in looking at corporate governance. And to me, it's just so obvious that, for example, companies with strong ethical cultures perform better in the marketplace. I'm not saying that makes them profitable. What I'm saying is they'll do better than they would otherwise do in the absence of an ethical culture. So to me, it's like, uh, give them the business proposition. If you invest this amount of money in terms of following your report with the culture and taking the practical steps that you're talking about, do you want to make more money and have less employee turnover, lower rates of employee misconduct, greater rates of uh, employee productivity, and greater satisfaction by all stakeholders, including your customers? Who would say no to that? But yet, we, somehow, this isn't getting translated in, in, in that sort of this for that type of uh, approach. And that's what I find so precedent setting about your report is that you're finally answering and giving them even a roadmap for how to do this. And that's, uh, and so, but it seems to me, you know, I call it the profound grasp of the obvious ethical companies perform better. And they outperform. And in the beginning of your report, you have it right up there in black and white with citations. And there are many, many studies on this, Ty. And um, it just seems to me like this should be something that, and I'm, I'm taking it as a very positive sign that so many people joined your group, the ECCN. There were so many people who joined it and wanted to work on this to understand it better. But where do you see this going? How are we going to get to the directors who may not have that same desire, you know, that, that, that were in your ECCN? I mean, we, it's almost like you have a lot of people out there now ready to educate everybody. Well, I think yeah, I, the point you brought up earlier was that, that, that stat that, you know, companies with the strongest ethical cultures strongly outperform by approximately 40% those with the weakest ethical cultures across all measures of business performance. That includes customer satisfaction, employee loyalty, innovation, adaptability and growth. And, you know, you, you leveraged it before when you talked about stakeholders. You know, this is not just an investor asking companies to, to determine what their purpose is. Right. Larry Fink does it every year with his CEO letter. Um, right. he, this is now, you know, evident across all stakeholders. These are employees leaving companies because they don't believe 
that the company's values align with theirs. These are customers turning away from companies because they don't believe the values they say they have are actually operating in the real world. Um, so this is beyond compliance. This is beyond you know, legal, regulatory, or letters from shareholders. This is companies having to realize that sustainability for them means getting this right today. And because culture is now rooted in its values, if the culture isn't there, there's no way a company can be strategic. So when you say that stat, you're going to outperform your peers by 40% if you have a stronger ethical culture. Right. That is now pushing people to think, okay, there's an, you know, there's my premium. So, but like you said before, Michael, for years and years, this has been a nice thing. This has been a, well, you know, we like our culture, but here's our earnings. Now they're inextricably tied together. And we can say, do you want to make more money? Do you want to stay in business longer? Do you want to outperform your peers? You need to be looking at where your culture is, where it should be, and how to get to that best practice place. So, and I think being, you know, amongst all these people at the New York Stock Exchange, you know, we would just talk to boards every single day. Right. And um, my my colleague TK Kerstetter at the time said to me, he said, you know something, Ty, I don't believe that these board members are ignoring the issue. I just don't think they understand how to start to measure what they think. And also, they don't know who to talk to on their leadership teams to do that. So part of this access, um, assessing corporate culture survey was identifying who on your leadership team should be, you, you be talking to. But the most important thing is, how do we measure and more importantly, monitor that culture moving forward? Because like I said to you, you know, earlier, uh, before we start recording, I can say I've had a negative COVID test two months ago. That doesn't mean I'm negative today. So monitoring and consistently making sure that you're hitting all those hotspots, speak up, anti-retaliation, you know, uh, organizational justice, you're going to find that your company is going to run a lot easier. You're going to retain those people. And again, you know, we could talk for hours about the IP risk you have when people leave your organizations. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. The IP they take with them, the time it takes to ramp up new people and instill that culture and that loyalty within them. You know, if your company is effectively operating with a high corporate culture, those people aren't going anywhere. They're going to stay and they're going to be your best ambassadors. And your customers are going to do the same thing. So you've got this entire ecosystem around your company that believes in your culture. They believe in your strategy. They believe in your values. And they're going to hold, you know, go away and evangelize this for you. And, and there's, a, there's an interesting follow-on to that. There was a survey, and I think it's going to be, I think in the next year or so, 50% of our workforce is going to be millennials. And they surveyed millennials and millennials were willing to take a 10% pay cut to work at an ethical company or a company that's aligned with their values, as you said. Uh, and that to me says, says it all about the importance of ethics, culture, values, defining this and making this part of your mission uh, statement, if you want to say it that way. Um, so I, I'm curious about that, but I also wanted to point out one great thing that you guys uh, did in the report was, and I was very curious about that, is you answered the question about how to, uh, how to measure the uh, culture and areas of data that can be 
or ways that data can be collected and topics and all of that. And can you speak about that? And was this list sort of come together by the ECCN group because it's in the report and I think it's very helpful. So, well, we we looked at a, a bunch of different things. What we tried to do was give them an easy starting point. You know, we, you know, eventually we'd love all companies to go out and start measuring their their, their culture by doing in-depth culture surveys or even pulse, pulse surveys, you know, intermittently to make sure that they are where they should be. Um, but we then started to ask them about, you know, where that data is coming right now. And, you know, we talked about direct sources of culture measurement, and those were employee surveys. There were focus groups, because one of the um, questions we had was, well, how do we establish clear communications between the board and leadership teams? And one of the answers was, well, bring multiple stakeholders to the table, because sometimes the CEO can have a very kind of limited lens when looking at the company, because the CEO is doing a bunch of things. And the idea is the CEO then delegates to different areas of the leadership team and you know it preys on their strengths so you know we looked at exit interviews we looked at site visits you know the internal audit reports just like everyone else but we looked at more feedback channels so we were soliciting feedback from company meetings and announcements and town halls and then we looked at the indirect sources of culture measurement and you know we were looking at management kpis for example how far are you pushing your teams and you know why are you pushing them the way they are you know, we were looking at glass door reviews and social media promotion rates. You know, who's getting promoted over somebody else? Is this purely based on financial performance or is this based on you know productivity or collaboration? Um, we were starting to see all of a sudden these board members' eyes light up to say, well, we've got all this data. And oh. we said, yes, you have. But you need to find a way of collating this data so it makes sense. But also independently verifying this data, measuring it, and then benchmarking it to say, here's where we are today. Let's look in six months and see where we are. A, a good example is, look, you know this, you know, we provide ethics and compliance training. It's a big part of our business. It's a big part of everyone's business, really. But training isn't enough. So an example I would give is, if you roll out anti-retaliation training and speak up training and say to people, you should be able to speak up about any issue in this company without fear of retaliation. And then immediately after that training finishes, say, so you've just taken that training. Are you more likely to speak up? I would say 95% of people would say, no, I'm not, because I hear what you're saying, but I don't see in practice. Now, in the next six months, if they started to see messages from management, clear okay. communications that retaliation would not be tolerated, and that ethical infractions would be seriously, you know, uh, you know, dealt with. And you started to see senior salespeople getting fired or senior executives getting fired or people getting fined. So then went back to them six months later and said, OK, now do you feel safer about speaking up? The chances are they probably say yes, because they'd seen things in action and they'd seen that if I do speak up, I'm not going to get retaliated against. And those people who have done something wrong are getting fired. So management and boards were now seeing that, OK, we can use some of this data to our advantage and start making benchmark timings to see, OK, this is what we've done. How are we measuring compared to last year? Are 20 percent more people speaking up? Are 20 percent more people staying? Are we losing less people? And are those people who have left 
who were leaving because they didn't want to work at the company anymore? And was it just money? And I think you people will start to see this shift. And as soon as the board members uh, within this ECCN saw this kind of data they already had, next step was a case of, okay, how do we put that together? Right. And that's the interesting thing is that they have it already. Uh, you know, it's not like, uh, I mean, I'm a strong advocate for employee surveys and targeted surveys, you know, not doing these annual enterprise wide surveys, even doing targeted surveys, uh, focus groups, roundtable discussions. Those are things that, um, yes, you have to invest in the time and the effort for that. But some of the other things, exit interviews, a lot of people have exit interview programs. Well, let's make sure that we're asking the right questions in those exit interviews. But look, I think it, what's interesting is that there is so much information that's available. And it's, I always say, if you there's so much information for compliance and ethics people that uh, you have to be careful about not getting too much information and making sure you look at the right sources and verify it and then do the trend analysis and the benchmarking like you're talking about. Um, one other issue or two other issues I wanted to sort of bring, and you mentioned them earlier, were board members who may have compliance experience, which I uh, and I understand that uh, we are all advocating for that. But what what also do you see as the role here of the chief ethics and compliance officer? How does how do they start to approach this issue? Because frankly, they have to be the one pushing this along with senior management and the CEO and working with the board to sort of implement uh, this sort of culture strategy. So, I mean, so th there was a, th there, I think that question has been muddied somewhat because I think the question I was asked a while back at a, at a conference in uh, in Vegas was, should chief compliance officers be on the board? I'm like, no. Right. Former chief compliance officers should be on the board, but chief compliance officers have got enough to do with right now. You know, there's a huge push to put ESG squarely in the lap of chief compliance officers. And I'm like, well, again, they've got a lot to deal with. It's a bit like the audit committee, which some people refer to as the kitchen drawer, where things get lost. If we're really going to take culture seriously, let's give it some you know, delineation. Let's make sure that there is somebody responsible for this, exactly. but it has a priority on any board agenda. So for the chief ethics compliance officer, they're used to dealing with data. They're used to dealing with these kind of situations where they should be given some kind of priority on the board meeting where they have, if not the, the top slot, the second slot to say, here's where we are. And, you know, let's forget the, the, the old kind of compliance officers who'd go into the meeting and go, here's the hotline data reports. Oh, we're 20% we're down. That must be good news. No, it's not. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you don't know where that data's come from. It could be suppressed. So I think communication is a big thing, but I, I think engagement is as well. So if you're a chief ethics and compliance officer, you know, getting to know your board is not only a smart thing to do, because you're going to get more done that way. You're going to get their ear and you're going to get their trust. But also having that direct line of information to the board and vice versa is going to be very important for the whole ecosystem of the board compliance and ethics kind of uh, relationship. Um, also, there are other ways that boards can look at data right now. I mean, we said a lot of things a minute ago from employee surveys to social media to glass door to exit interviews. But little tiny things like, you know, 
updating your code of conduct and your policies so it's trackable. So you can start seeing where people are going for their information. Are people reading your code of conduct? If they're not, why not? Is it out of date? Is it old? Should people be engaging with it more? What about your policies? Are they simple and easy to read, Michael? These are things that we know to be a good benchmark of a compliance program. But I think boards need to have a little more understanding of how this works in practice. And having a chief compliance officer who's uh, a great communicator, who's who's more used to talking to the board on a regular basis and unfettered, so doesn't have to go through somebody else. I think that is a big key to ensuring that the board really see where everything is. Yeah, that's the access that's critical for uh, compliance, the chief compliance and ethics officer to, to have to the board. And, um, you know, from my perspective, one of, and maybe uh, I'd be curious about your thoughts on this. I've always advocated for the chief ethics and compliance officer to get in front of the board at least once a year, call it training. Let's just say we call it training. But really what their job is to explain to the board, how do you conduct oversight and monitor a compliance program? And let's even get more specific how do we do so with regard to the culture of the company? And I do think that many boards want to do this, but they don't want to ask the question that indicates that they don't know how to do it. So it's almost, uh, and do you see a value in that in terms of trying to bring that issue to the board's attention and doing it obviously diplomatically, but just to say, here's what the expectations are around oversight and monitoring. Here are some principles that we'd like to, you know, that we would urge you to, to take a look at and try to get uh, sort of more of an engagement from the board in that respect. What do you think? How do we do uh, that? Well, listen, you're, you're preaching to the choir here, Michael, because I see this in the same way that I would give boards insider trading training. And obviously, you know, working at a stock exchange, that was... Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Was you had to worry about that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a it's a risk. Okay. So your job is to mitigate risk. So, you know, insider trading is a risk, you know, anti-bribery, you know, FCPA, they're all risks. So why shouldn't culture be? But not just that, the whole kind of bubble of ethics of compliance. An ethics of compliance officer is there to help the organization steer themselves through these discussions and these dilemmas. But they're looking at risk. So the same way you do a compliance risk assessment to understand whether your compliance program is functioning, whether it's robust, whether it's mature, the boards need to understand what that process is. And just by speaking to the compliance officer once or twice a year, so they give them an overview of you know, what they're doing, what they're trying to do, and how they're helping the company get to a better place, boards will start to have those aha moments when they go, oh, I see. So just us forcing this issue and cascading this we need to understand why culture is come and speak to us and us aligning with you as a chief compliance officer that's a good business decision this is not a, a miscellaneous footnote on a report this should be front and center wow well listen Ty we've uh, we've been doing a lot of preaching to the choir here back and forth and I, I appreciate it because uh, your insights are just invaluable. I would urge listeners to download the report, read it. And if people, uh, any of our listeners want to get in touch with you, Ty, what's the best way to reach you 
to follow up on some of these important issues that you've raised? Well, they, I mean, personally, they can reach me at ty.francis at lrn.com. Um, I would, I would uh, recommend you go to lrn.com. Um, you will see everything you need there. Um, obviously, my, uh, my team are former chief compliance officers and regulators and governance experts. We're always happy to help. Um, even just give your, give your uh, readers, your viewers, um, uh, an overview of what they should be talking about. But even, you know, tips on how they can communicate with their boards. And this is why we uh, we partnered with Tapestry. And this is why we released the first report, which was Accessing Corporate Culture. And this is Assessing Corporate Culture, because we want to make it easy, not just for boards to understand their ethics compliance um, oversight, but also for chief compliance officers to uh, articulate that to their boards. So we're, we're trying to hit both of these key stakeholders, but really putting putting back into the kind of mix that you know without culture you can't even begin to look at strategy yep and uh and those are those are very prophetic words and ty thank you so much uh for joining us today i'm sure everybody enjoyed it and uh, we hope to see you back here hopefully with another cultural report but i know those are take a while to put together but uh, please keep the work uh, going and uh, send our compliments to everybody at LRN and your whole team for just a great, great uh, job on this. Really important. Well, Michael, thank you so much for having me on. It's it's an honor. I've been watching, reading and uh, listening to your podcast, your webcast and your articles for years and years and years now. So I feel like I finally made it. Oh, well, you, you've more than made it. You've elevated me, which is uh, which may not be that big. A deal because uh but you definitely have raised uh our our caliber here and the issues that are that really need to be discussed thank you again ty and we'll talk to you soon thank you michael thanks again for listening to corruption crime and compliance please subscribe to the podcast series the volkov law group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.